again today. And so we ask that you would open us to your word, and your word to us, that we might see Jesus, in whose name we pray, amen. So in Matthew chapter 1, we read, verse 18, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, Do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. And so clearly this was no ordinary conception, and thus no ordinary child. A human mother, a divine father. Jesus was conceived in the womb of his human mother by the miraculous work of his divine father through the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, of course, many of you know the Apostles' Creed, uh, where we profess, I believe in God the Father Almighty and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. That's the heart of Christmas. The incarnation. God. The God Almighty becoming human. The God-man, Jesus. Fully God, fully man. But the question that I really want to focus on this morning is, why does that matter? Why does it matter that his mother was human and his father divine? Why does it matter that Jesus is from this human divine family? Why is this good news for us. Well, we see that in many ways uh, throughout the Bible. see it in many ways throughout the Gospels. And one of the places that we see this, at least in part, is Jesus' interaction with two people. Uh, Two of his dear friends, really three of his dear friends, but we're going to aim at two of them. And it's his friends, Mary and Martha. Uh, You've met them before. We meet them in several places in the Gospels. But for our purpose today, we're going to focus on Jesus' interaction with them in John 11. And if you're using the Bible under the chair in front of you, you'll find that on page 897. So these two women were about to experience the heart of Christmas in a time of great need, in a time when they had lost hope at a time when they least expected it. So let's revisit this familiar story that highlights both Jesus' humanity and his divinity. Now, as you may remember, there's a man named Lazarus. Uh, He's very sick, in fact, so much so that he is dying. And he's the brother of Mary and Martha, The three of them are very good friends, dear friends with Jesus. And so what do the two sisters do? But they send for Jesus to come and help, to come and save their brother. But Jesus does not arrive in Bethany for a couple of days. Before he gets there, Lazarus dies. And when when Jesus finally arrives, the family and friends are in mourning. 
And Lazarus' body is sealed in a tomb. What happens next is one of the most famous events in all of human history. But what? But if you know this story, if you know this story, you already know that at the end, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But first, this is what happens. So beginning with verse 17 of John 11. Now when Jesus came, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb four days. Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles off. Many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to console them concerning their brother. So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know he will rise again, the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. Yes, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary, saying in private, The teacher is here and is calling for you. And when she heard it, she rose quickly and went to him. Now, Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still in the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who were with her in the house, consoling her, saw Mary rise quickly and go out, they followed her, supposing that she was going to the tomb to weep there. Now, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him? We'll stop there for now. So right away we see that both Martha and Mary, they come to Jesus. And did you notice they say the very same thing to him? Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Two sisters, same circumstance, same words to Jesus. And yet, did you also notice that Jesus' response to each sister is quite different? With Martha, Jesus is more emphatic, confronting her unbelieving heart with the reality of his power. With Mary, Jesus is more empathic, 
comforting her grieving heart with the reality of his presence. With Martha, Jesus points her away from despair to true hope in him, saying, I am the resurrection and the life. With me, it is never too late, Martha. With Mary, Jesus simply enters into her pain and sorrow with tears, virtually saying nothing. Well, here we see dramatically what we often hear propositionally throughout the rest of the New Testament. Jesus is fully God and he's fully man. The incarnation, the heart of Christmas, God coming to us, becoming one of us, one with us. So what I want to do is consider for a moment this encounter with Martha and then briefly the encounter with Mary. And so in his encounter with Martha, we get a glimpse of Jesus' profound power, the strong and mighty. He is fully God. He is God Almighty. With Martha, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. Now, that is a very full statement. There's a lot that could be said about it, but I want to focus on just one word. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that word, life. So I want to take you back for a moment to biology class. Because you remember in science, the study of physical, natural life is known as biology. Related to the Greek word bios. Meaning physical, natural life. Well, Jesus does not use that word here. He does not say, I am the resurrection and the bios. No, he uses a much more profound word. It's the word zoe. Now, many of you know someone whose name is Zoe. That's the same, we just pronounce it differently. Same word, same name, Zoe. In fact, I remember very well, it was exactly 12 years ago this month, uh, up here on this platform, I remember holding little Zoe Mays, then little Zoe Mays, now she's uh, in sixth grade in school uh, with my eldest, uh, but I remember holding, up, her, holding her up here to baptize her. And right before baptizing her, I told her about her name. I told her what her name meant, that it was a Greek word that refers to abundant life. To life in the fullest, most complete sense. Life beyond mere physical life. Well here, Jesus proclaims, I am the resurrection and the zoe. I am ultimate life. I am life to the fullest, to the most complete sense, beyond what the eye can see. In other words, if you look at this in the larger picture, Jesus is saying, I am going to take on the sin of the world. I am going to absorb the wrath that sin demands. I am going to die in your place. Yet I am going to conquer death because I am Zoe. I am greater than death. And if you believe in me and trust me with your life, then you will know the greater reality of Zoe. And today, you will see proof of this reality. 
That's what Jesus is saying. And then the story continues with the other sister. So in his encounter with Mary, we see Jesus' personal presence. Humble, meek, broken-hearted, near. He's fully human. He knows intimately our human experience. He enters in. Again, notice that Mary, with Mary, that is, with Mary, Jesus says virtually nothing. But instead, he breaks down sobbing. Why? Well, because here it's not so much about his words, but more so about his heart. Jesus feels the weight of Mary's pain and suffering. The weight of death. And it hurts him deeply. Jesus enters into Mary's sorrow with full sincerity and integrity. And simply, yet profoundly, Jesus weeps with her. One commentator writes this. Here we see deity joined to human vulnerability. His love pulls him down into weeping. Despite the fact that he is God, he responds to Mary in this way precisely because he is fully human as well. He is one with us. He feels the horrific power of death and the grief of love lost. Jesus is the truth itself come to tears. And it is this paradox that he is both God and human. It is this paradox that gives Jesus an overwhelming beauty. And then the gospel writer invites us further into the story to see this overwhelming beauty of Jesus in a whole new light. He invites us to see the absolute ferociousness of it. And so picking up with verse 38 of John 11. Then Jesus, deeply moved again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, By this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out! And the man who had died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, his face wrapped with a cloth, and Jesus said to them, Unbind him and let him go. Okay, friends... That's not an everyday occurrence. 
I mean, go down to your local funeral home or cemetery. This is not happening there every day. You know, when you think about it, this scene would have been startling to everyone there. Jesus calls Lazarus by name out of the grave, and the dead man comes out. The word of God speaks, and the dead receives life. It's amazing. It's wonderful. It's awesome. And it's true. But there's something else that's so easy to miss here. Because something stunning happens right before this. Because first, Jesus gets mad. Did you realize that? Not only does Jesus weep in this passage, but he also gets ticked off. Okay, it shows up in verse 33, and we see it again here in verse 38. Now, verse 38, it says that Jesus was deeply moved. He was deeply moved again when going to the tomb. And the problem is with our English phrase, deeply moved. Because it doesn't come close to capturing the thrust of the actual Greek word. In the original language, it's a word that literally means to bellow with anger. To bellow with anger. You see, Jesus is absolutely furious. He is bellowing with rage. He is roaring like a ferocious lion. And in the words of John Calvin, Jesus approaches the tomb as a dangerous champion prepared for battle. In other words, he is ready to take off the head of Goliath. He is raging against death. He is bellowing with anger at the loss of life and the loss of loved ones because it's not supposed to be this way. And yet even... With that explanation, I realize that it's hard, difficult to to truly picture what's going on here. I mean, I, I struggled for years to really understand this, and I remember the first time that it actually began to make sense, and, and I, I've shared this with some of you before. It was my second year of seminary. I was in a, a biblical interpretation class with Dr. Rick Watts. Uh, We weren't in the Gospel of John. Uh, Actually, we were in Galatians. Our room was set up a lot like this, except there was no platform and there were a lot fewer seats because there were probably only just over a dozen of us in the room. But what I mean is there was a lectern up front, which Rick would often teach behind. Our chairs were seated out here looking forward. And the doors that we got into the classroom through were at the back, just like they are here. And they were glass doors so you could see through as people came in. And this one particular day, there was a knock on the back. And so we all saw Rick motion the person in, and of course we all turned around and we saw that it was another seminary friend of ours, a young woman named Sherris. The first thing that any of us noticed is that Sherris looked devastated. She came in and she said, I have some, some news to share, and I'm going around to, to room to room and asking for prayer." And she was about to share with us about another seminary friend of ours, a guy by the name of Matt Swanson. 
Uh, Matt was not in this particular class of mine. We had had class uh, together. Uh, Matt and Renee were uh, similar age to, to Heather and me. Uh, Heather and I didn't have kids yet, but Matt and Renee had three young boys. And Sheriff went on to tell us that Matt, just that morning, 29 years old, had been diagnosed with a severe, aggressive form of cancer, advanced stage, and he didn't have long to live. Maybe a few months. The moment that I'll never forget, as we're all looking at the back of the classroom, all of a sudden, we hear, wham! And we're startled, and we turn to the front, and there is Rick, our professor, having just pounded his fists into the lectern. His face is red with anger. And at the same time, there are tears of sorrow pouring down his cheeks. And he looks out and he says, This is an assault on God's good creation. And death will not have the last word. Rick was bellowing with anger. He was raging with anger at death. But he was also doing something else. Rick was also looking beyond what the eye could see. I I didn't realize it at the time, but that's what he was doing. With Jesus, Rick was looking through the lens of true biblical hope through the lens of Zoe life beyond what the physical eye could see. In the midst of raging anger at death, he was also gripped by the victory of God, the gift of God in Jesus. The gift of Jesus, the gift, the one whose birth we celebrate, the one born on Christmas Day, and also the one born to die, to die for us that we might live, that we might be raised with him when he returns, his second coming, his second Advent. It's the victory of God. The gift of God in Jesus. Now, Christmas is a wonderful time of year. And, and I love it. I love it for many of the reasons that the song sings of. You know, the joy of a child's face opening gifts on Christmas morning. Or, or the lights, in particular at night, the lights in the house or around the neighborhoods. And here we're even blessed to see grand illumination or for the entire season, Christmas Town. All good and wonderful things. But all things that are actually foretastes of something better to come. All things that are actually meant by God to point us ahead. All things pointing us to the true light, to the light that shines into the darkness and that the darkness cannot overcome. 
You see, Advent is definitely a season, definitely a season for looking back and remembering Jesus' first coming. But equally, it is also a season for looking ahead, for looking, anticipating the return of Jesus. It's a season for looking beyond what the physical eye can see. Because again, faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is a season to be gripped by the victory of God, the gift of God to us, the gift of God in Jesus. Fully God, fully man. All-powerful and intimately personal. God with us. The one born on Christmas Day. The one born to die for us. That we might be raised with Him in glory and victory when He returns His second advent. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Our good and gracious God. O Lord, we thank you that you have come to us, for us, in Jesus. And all that we might know you powerfully and personally. Thank you that in him, through faith, we are now part of your forever family. Made children of God with you. And so, Lord Jesus, we long for your return, and we pray even now, just as we have already sung, come, come, thou long-expected Jesus, come. Amen. Please stand.